think most we found that out after we, after a while. Years ago, I had three teenager, three eight, three teen children, and uh, I still have three children, but they're not teens anymore. And we were on the western side of Vitilebu and this place uh, they called the Sleeping Giant. It's a large mountain range. And teenagers like to do things, so they wanted to climb the mountain to the top of the Sleeping Giant. And so we did. And there's just beauty that you can see at the top of a mountain that you can't see in the valleys below. And I remember looking back over the panoramic view. And one of the things that impressed me is how the erosion from the mountain had come down and was going into the fields. And you can see, actually see where almost like a river of compost was coming down and fertilizing the sugarcane fields below us. And so as we've come to this passage in Ephesians, we see a panoramic view. It's like we're standing on top of the mountain here, and we're looking over, and we're seeing beautiful things that we may not see if we're living in the valleys below. We're going to be examining God, and as we examine these, this text, my prayer is that we'll listen receptively, we'll think about it, we'll See, I believe if you really take this passage and apply it to your life, it will, it will rise you, raise you to a new plane of thinking about God. It happened to me, as I've shared with you, over 30 years ago when I studied this book in detail and in, in depth. And this rendition of God will cause you to stand in awe and wonder at who he is. As we look at this passage, you'll look at God in, in maybe a different light. As you read and study and think about this passage, you're going to discover the character and the nature of God. And it's a wondrous discovery. It's a marvelous discovery. We do not come into the presence of God to find a being that we want to run away from. But as we come into the presence of God, we find someone we want to run toward. It's like a child, and all of you as children have probably experienced this. Uh, Laura, Laura Porter was, and Mike uh, talked about losing one of their children one time in a winter fest for about 30 minutes. And we all have ex either have experienced losing a child or, or being lost as a child. And what happens when you're found? You know, that, 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 that reunion when you're found, you run to your parents, you run to your mom, you run to your dad, and you grab onto them, and you're happy. You're, uh, the, the joy, the relief, uh, the, the script, you can't, we cannot describe those feelings that we get when we run into the arms of our parents. And this is the same when a person discovers that they're lost. They do live in fear. When you're lost, you live in fear. You live in the fear of death. You live in the fear of life. You don't know which way to turn. And that's why the Bible uses this expression about being lost. And then the living God comes into our lives and fills us with joy unspeakable. 
And we're going to look at this more as we look at verses 4 through 6 today. We looked at verse 3 last week. And I've entitled this, and we'll see in a moment why. What thrills God? Most of us don't think of God being thrilled. But we're going to see at what thrills God. Let's read verse 3 because it it really ties into the rest. But let's read this section together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance to his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This whole section, the whole first 14 verses, tells us more about God than it does about us. It's centered in God, as I've stated at the very beginning. It's focused on Christ. And it does directly affect us, and because it directly affects us, we kind of center in on that, how, it, how it's affecting us. We're not left out of the picture. The emphasis, though, is on God, it's on His work, it's on His will, it's on His pleasure. And it's all, all this is done or exerted through Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse 3, this, what, I'm, what I call a hallelujah phrase, he begins by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And that word means to brag or to boast. I want to brag and boast about God. Why do I want to brag? Why do I want to boast about God? And those who know, study this even more depth than me, says this this section as we go into verse 4 may be the beginning of a hymn. This may have been a, a hymn that the early Christians sang. Or it's maybe something they memorized as a group. And they quoted it together. As they, when they came together. John McKay in his work, book on Ephesians says, It's doctrine set to music. And I like that. This section here is doctrine set to music. And you can almost hear the glory of singing as you go through this section slowly. The NIV begins it for, for he chose us. And it can be translated as as or because. And one translator added this the, uh, the words, we confess. As we confess as a group, as we confess together, we say this. He chose us in him. As, it's, as the church is confessing, making a statement that is poetic in so many ways of the working of God in our lives. And so looking at this as a doxology, a prayer of praise, will help us understand this passage Some have taken two particular words here, and they've turned it into a doctrine that I have some problems with. The two words are chosen, or some of your Bibles will say elected, and the other one is predestined, predestination. And I'm not going to have a theology class today. I'm not going to go into what predestination is and in some people's thinking or election But the simplified theology is this. All people are lost and have no ability to turn to God. So God elected, he made a decision that a few people out of the many 
will be saved. He predestined them to salvation. They cannot refuse his grace. They will be saved, and everyone else is lost. That's the that's summation of that. But this is not a statement of theology. It's a prayer of praise. And this doxology centers on God's work. It centers on his purposes, on his plans in drawing people to himself. And so the focus is not so much the results of the choice as it is the cause. God is the cause here. And he, and he makes himself known and he makes his desires known. Another way of looking at this is from our vantage point, we're looking upward to God. We're looking at life. We can't help this. We look at life based on the results that have taken place in our life. God's work in our life, and we, we, we see everything through the eyes of, or the feelings or the things that have happened to us. But this passage, if we think of it this way, it's not us looking up so much as God's work looking down to us. And so as God's work comes down to us, the result is to praise and to praise the character of God. We're seeing God's character come into our life. We can't help but see the work that he does in our lives, and we're naturally affected by that. So we tend to praise God for things. You know, we, God does something, we praise him for those things, the results in our life. But in this case, we want to focus on the blessings, or what we often want to do is focus on the blessings of chosen and being adopted in our lives. Instead of looking at his work before the world began, how God views us, his love, his, pre, uh, his predetermination, his kind intention, his will, his grace, his generosity and giving, all wrapped up in his son. And so what I'm saying here is in this section, there are two things that he talks, that he says, this happened to you, and there's another nine things that he talks about God. But we're, we have the tendency to focus on the two instead of the nine. 9, 10, 11. There's an 11-point sermon in this short section, which we're not going to do. But this is how you get so wrapped up when you see God and you see all the things that he's doing that it just amazes you and it draws you to him. We're going to take this as, an, as a doxology, as a prayer of praise. What are we confessing? What do we stand? What do we sit here and praise God for? What are we what are we confessing to one another about God? Let's look at these together. The first confession is he chose us. We have this choice. We don't have the choice. God has a choice. God made a choice. God is sovereign. He is king. He can choose whatever he decides. If God is all-powerful, then whatever he says will happen. And as we come to him, as we learn about him, we find out that he is loving kindness. And we're so thankful for that. Because if God were God that's vindictive, we, none of us would exist anymore. But God is a God of loving kindness. This choice that God makes has nothing to do with fairness. Do not step before God and say, I just want what's fair. Because what's fair is what I don't want. It's punishment. This is grace in action. God's choice is grace in action. We're getting a good thing we don't deserve. 
And so we can be thankful for this choice. And this place, the place of the choice is in him. Every blessing is in Christ. Everything that he talks about is in him or in Christ. If you count this in the NIV, you're going to count nine times that he says in Christ or in him. If you go to the Greek, I don't know why the NIV left out two of them, but there's 11 of them. And maybe because it just became so cumbersome to the translators to over and over emphasize that this is in Christ. This is in God. This is in him. We're being chosen. And it shows value. Value. I've shared with you how when I was young, little boy, I was skinny and no good at sports. Remember, remember that? Surely I don't have to tell the story again. And how, how, how it makes you feel not to be chosen, to be the last chosen, or to at the last, you're the last one, and the captain says, you take him to the other captain. And then you grow up and you get bigger and you're a better ball player than you used to be and suddenly you start getting chosen first or near the first. And how that makes you feel. And so this is what happens. In Christ we are chosen. And this meaning of in Christ, we should have a whole lesson on that later. We're joined to Christ. Everything that Christ did, everything that Christ was, we receive the same thing if we're in Christ. So Christ was righteous. You're some of you aren't going to even believe this. Christ was righteous, so God chooses that you are righteous. Christ died, and so we died to sin. Christ was raised to a new life, and so we are raised to a new life. And there's many, many more things. Christ was the chosen one. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. That's who Christ was, and guess what? And so we too in Christ are the chosen one. Do you believe you're the chosen one in whom God delights? When did this happen? Before the creation of the world. This was not plan B. Things did not go wrong, so God came up with a second plan. This is plan A from the beginning. In fact, there is no other plan. There's only one plan. So to call it plan A would be wrong because that implies a plan B. This is the only plan. There's no need for any other plan because God is all-powerful. And later on, we'll see in verse 11, he works all things in conformity with his will. He did this before the creation of the world. He made a plan, and he said, this will be what happens to my creation. The purpose is to be holy and blameless. We looked at that word holy when we looked at the first verse. Saints, holy, set apart. And then we have this word blameless. Blameless means without defect. It means without blemish. Able to meet all the requirements and prerequisites for sacred service to God. And listen, it means to be acceptable and without fault in the inner man as well as the outer man. This describes God. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says Jesus was blameless, uh, the, the blameless without blemish, the sacrifice. And I look at that and I say, if his purpose is for me to be holy and blameless, how well am I doing? And if you're saying, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a bit better than I used to do. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not totally blameless. I'm just partially blameless. I'm less blameless than, 
I'm more blameless than I was in, pre in previous years, then we have no hope. The next three words help us. In his sight. This is a strong word in the Greek. It means staring you in the face. God stares you in the face. And who can stand before God as he stares you in the face? And so if my gospel is a me-centered gospel, it's a message of condemnation. That's all I have. I can only stand, I cannot even stand before God. I'm self-condemned. A God-centered message is good news. Holy and blameless by my own work is impossible. If I were to say, who's blameless here? It'd be hard for you to raise your hand because of the argument you had on the way to church. <laughs> or, or yesterday. But here he says, in his sight. When a person is in Christ, God has already decided how he's going to view you. He places value on you. He decided before creation that he would see those in Christ as holy and blameless. He would see and treat them as holy and blameless. This particular verse, I think, may be my favorite verse in the Bible. I'm not sure. I have a lot of favorites. But verse 4, when it hit me about 30 years ago, what this is saying, it's not by my merit, it's not by my work, it's not by what I've done, it's not, not how well I'm doing, it's not how better I am this year than I was last year. It's God's decision that he says, you're in Christ? Okay, if you're in Christ, I see you as a holy person. I see you as a blameless person. That's the only hope I have in standing before God. Our first confession, he chose us. Our second confession, he predestined us. This action, it says, in love he predestined. And so whatever predestination is, it's the most loving thing God can do. It's an act of God love. In God, in, in, in love he predestined us. And as I pondered on this all week long, it hit me that this is a synonym, this is synonymous with the previous verse. It's, it's, it's the same thing as saying choosing. He chose us, he predestined us. It's saying essentially the same thing. He predetermined. He made a decision. And literally this word means before the horizons. When was the time before the horizons? You go outside today, you can see the horizon. There's a horizon. Pre-horizon was pre-creation. And so he made a decision before the creation. It's saying the same thing. As he said in the previous verse, he's predetermined. He's made a decision. And here's his decision. This is, this is going to be your place. You're holy and blameless in my sight, and here's your place. You are my child. You're in my family. You're adopted. Whatever Christ is, we are too. Jesus said, Jesus was called by God, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved child. And when we went through 1 John, we saw that same word was used of us. We are God's Beloved children. This is the same pl place that we find ourselves. The same place that God viewed J uh, Jesus as beloved son. We are in the same place. We are in God's beloved family. And nothing touches the heart more. Nothing stirs our emotion more than being chosen, accepted, 
being in a safe and loving family. And I should flip that around and say, and nothing hurts us and devastates us more than a family that's broken. And you all know, we're all connected in one and both of those ways. We're all, we're, we all either are directly or indirectly created with family that's broken and hurtful and bad things are happening. And we're all connected with people who are in good families and good things are happening and adoption has taken place. This church is blessed with multiple people who have either opened their homes in, as foster, in foster care, adoption, or just opened their home and had a place, treated someone as family, even though they weren't fa their family. Sometimes it was stepchildren. The lost child, the abandoned child, the neglected child, the unloved and uncared for child is now safe, cared for, loved, their needs are being met, boundaries are set that establish a solid atmosphere of proper care and love. In a moment, I'm going to show you a video. I'm going to warn you about this video. If it's your first time to see it, you'll probably cry or get choked up, all right? If you've seen it before, you'll probably cry or get choked up. I purposefully watched this, I'm not kidding, at least 10 times, maybe more, so I would not cry while I stood before you. <laughs> but I might. But it's the story of someone adopted, and, I want, and, and I'm, I'm bringing this one up because just the emotion of it is so beautiful. And, and I wanted, and I, and I know those of us who have adopted and who brought people into our family, we know the feelings that we get, we know the, uh, it is hard to explain how an adopted child is loved equally to a birth child. There is no difference. And I want you to feel that. I'm not a big feeling person, but I want you to feel that as much as understand it because this is what God does for anyone who comes into his family, who comes into Christ. And so this video is about a minute, a little bit over a minute long, and let's watch this beautiful display of adoption. Finally tonight, America Strong, two foster parents giving the gift of a lifetime to their daughter, bringing us all along for the ride. You're about to watch this 10-year-old, whose name is Ivy, open up a birthday present. I want you to read it. A present that is about to change her life. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> Ivy spent the last three years in foster care, now officially adopted by Paige and Daniel Zuzuka of Athens, Georgia. We love you so but the story doesn't end there. If you missed that last part, Kai and Lita too mean Ivy's three-year-old brother and two-year-old sister. The Zuzulkas now a family of five. Mom telling us today about their journey with Ivy, about this room and the first night Ivy slept over, asking if she could call Paige and Daniel 
mom and dad, and then the second night asking if she could stay forever. The Zuzulkas making that dream come true and living up to the promise of being a forever family. So I brought Finally my, I brought my tissue. <laughs> but this is what he is saying here, and this is what is so marvelous if you can if you can get a hold of this. God predetermined before the creation of the world that he was going to have a family, a family of rebellious children that have run away, a, a family that, that wanted their inheritance and wanted to do things, their way, a, a, a people that wanted to be their own gods. And then he made this plan, this choice, that he would take you into his family. You don't deserve it. You don't, there's nothing we do that can get us there. And he says, but I'm going to take you as my only, as my beloved children. And how again does he do it? He says it again, through Jesus. Once again, it's not our merit. It's not our ability. It's not anything we've done to deserve this. The adoption paper is there. It is signed. It is sealed by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, through his work. God has done for this. For those who are in Christ. And here's his motive. And this is stunning. He does this by his pleasure. And his will. God is not. As many many people think. Someone who is looking forward. To delivering karma. To you. Some of us. Some of us. Like to watch YouTube videos. Of karma. Am I the only one? Sandra isn't. Don't, don't, don't even try. But you go to this and you go, uh, instant karma on YouTube. Just do it one time. And what it is is people who are doing, yes, people who are doing things that they, you're like, you're sitting there going, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. And they do. Something happens to them, right? I am not the only person that's done this. I know many of you have done it this week. <laughs> but you look at that and you go, yeah. That guy, what they deserve, good for them. God is not that way. God is not looking forward to giving you the instant karma to give you what you deserve. Here it says this is God, this adoption is God's pleasure and his will. And that word pleasure means it's his happiness. It's his delight. This is what pleases him. To put this into human terms, he's saying God gets a good tingly feeling when he adopted you. And no one said amen because we're afraid to say it. That God felt good when he adopted you. It was his pleasure. He wanted to. This is his desire. This is his heart. This is what thrills God. Is not getting you, giving you what you deserve, but bringing you into his family. This is his will. He wasn't forced to do it. He didn't do it because his son begged him, oh God, please don't send them to hell. Please don't do this for me. And God goes, oh, okay, because I love you, son, I'm not going to punish them. No, this is God's will. This is God's desire. God wants you in his family. And here's the result. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I stated earlier that if you listen and you think about this, 
is going to cause you to stand in awe and wonder at who God is. To think of your chosen place as holy and blameless. Standing before God in confidence because of what God has done for you in Christ. To look up into the face of God and see him staring at you, not in anger or wrath, but as your loving father. It should stun you. It should stun you. And two simultaneous truths should come to our mind. Value and response. God values me. God values you. He thinks you're worth more than you really are. Even more than I can acknowledge. He values you. And my response, and this is where if we can ever grasp this, if you can ever grasp this, your response to this incredible display of God's love will be you will run from sin. Sin will no longer be attractive. You will not have to be scared out of hell. You'll run to the Father when you see what he's done for. Your response is going to be, what can I do for you? To the praise of his glory. And that word means fitting, accurate, enthusiastic acknowledgement of God here. I look at God and I say, it's fitting. It's accurate. And I should be enthusiastically acknowledge who he is and what he's done for me. Acknowledge that he's chosen me and with, with no worth of my own, no value of my own, and he's placed this value on me. He's brought me into his family. I'm now his child and should respond to that. This I call is the wow, the emotion, the enthusiasm that comes not from a mo motivational speaker, not from a moving skit, not from a great movie, but the wowness of God, this overwhelming response of his glorious grace given to us without cost, freely in the one he loves. This is written, this was written to the Ephesians who were Christians in the city of Ephesus and I think to the cities around them. This is not written to those who are outside of Christ. Two things. If you're outside of Christ, this blessing is not yours. It's not. This adoption is freely given to you if you want it. You can be his choice child if you want it. But this is only to those in Christ. And so if you're out of Christ, I, don't, I just want you to try to grasp what God has, has already done for you so you'll come to him. So you'll run to him as your father. And for us who are in Christ, this should be motivational. It should motivate us to say, man, I have some good news to share with people. It's not so much, listen, you're going to go to hell, so let me tell you some good news. That's not a good way to begin. <laughs> the good news is, do you know that God's a loving father? Yes, sin is devastating, and yes, it's going to destroy you eternally, but I have some really good news here, and the good news is there's a loving father who's standing there with open arms, waiting to bring you in. He wants you to be his child. So if you're outside of Christ, 
we invite you to come in. And if you're inside Christ, go and tell the good news to other people as we glorify God, as we praise him for what he's done for us. Our elders will come and uh, help you if you need to.